Hey, how's it going? It's me, Tim Clare. This, of course, is Death of a Thousand Cuts, and I'm recording a little intro late at night. It's actually 20 past midnight, and the rest of my family are asleep. I've just finished editing my interview with the author and podcaster, Mark State. Mark's a really interesting stage in his career, actually, so I thought you'd want to hear from him. He's... Well, he's a presenter of a, he's co-presenter of an, a podcast called The Bestseller Experiment, which is a show for writers. If you haven't listened to it, I've stuck a link in the show notes. Just click that, go and listen to some episodes. We recommend a few in this. We talk about them in this podcast. I think you'll really like it if you like this show and you're a writer. You're going to find so much in The Bestseller Experiment that you love. And I that's one of the reasons I wanted to have Mark on the show, because I thought... Anyone who listens to this podcast now is going to get so much out of their podcast. And they've got over 100 episodes now. They interview loads of really, really interesting authors. And they interview indie authors and best-selling authors, obviously. And people from the publishing industry. And then they discuss it. And the whole premise of the show, as we discuss in this in this interview, is yeah, that they were also given themselves a year as an experiment to see if they could write a best-selling book and uh, and and it's just great to hear Mark talk about his experiences as an indie author self-publishing his in experiences with writing co-writing a, a movie his experiences um with his latest book which he's publishing through unbound so it's crowdfunded and also all the stuff he's learned from speaking to a vast range of different authors and his own experiences working in the publishing industry as well. Mark's a really nice guy, but he's also extremely good at talking about some of the practicalities of being a writer, some of the stuff you have to do to get your book in front of people. And I don't talk about self-promotion very much on this podcast, not because I think it's vulgar or something that's beneath me or that it should be something you don't concern yourself as writers, but because I genuinely actually don't know very much about it. So anything I was saying, I say to you about it is more or less a guess. And, you know, I get to ask Mark about this and he's got some really great straightforward direct practical advice that you can just immediately apply to your own work i find it really useful and a lot of these interviews are just me scratching my own itch and uh, having a kind of having a kind of alibi a kind of excuse to get to talk to authors who i like people whose work i'm interested in people who produce content that i really love and and basically just strip mine them for ideas and advice I'm, at the time of recording, I've just finished a massive project that's taken me, I think I started it in 2014, summer of 2014, during the Edinburgh Fringe. So, four years in my life. Immediately having submitted it, I started spotting things that I wanted to tweak as is always the way, but mainly I just feel so relieved and those things I can sort out later, whether I'll still get another bite at it some stage down the line. Um, I can't, well, annoyingly, I can't really, well, I'm not going to really talk about it Um, at the moment. Maybe in the next few weeks, certainly within a couple of months, I'll be able to. 
Uh, I'm not being deliberately coy. I know it's a bit of a wanky, irritating thing to sort of mention something and then immediately say, well, I can't talk about that. I'm not doing it to be sort of mysterious. Uh, I just wanted to share it with you because it's where I'm at now. And at some stage, I'm going to record a podcast about it because I feel like I've learned quite a lot over these four years. Some of them as examples of things not to do, but nonetheless, as I talk about that, if you want to support the podcast, there's a final thing I've got to say before we get you into the interview itself, the chat. Um, if you want to support the podcast, there's a, a bunch of really great ways you can do that. Simplest and cheapest for you is just is share it and let other writers you know share it with your writing community share it on facebook groups that have that you're part members of that are that's that's for writers share it on twitter email it to friends tell people about it um just makes a huge difference and hello if you're a new listener or you've just joined us it's lovely to have you um and i hope that you find these episodes useful if you want to help my career me tim clare then you can uh, buy my novel, The Honours. It's out now. It's, uh, I think it's a great little yarn, and I'm really proud of it, and lots of people have said they like it, and the book looks absolutely gorgeous, and it will look really nice on your shelf, even if you don't plunge into the, uh, to the rich and weird world that I've created. And finally, if you want to help me with some of my overheads, I've got equipment... I have to pay hosting costs for the podcast themselves and also for my website where a lot of the material is up. Uh, you can go click onto my coffee page. If you click onto my website, timclairpart.co.uk, there's just a little button that says buy me a coffee, rather pr- presumptuously. Uh, you can click that and then the two more clicks and you'll be able to just drop me a few spondulacs. Or you can click the show notes of this episode and there'll be a link there. Uh, I really appreciate all of you who've uh, dug into your pocket and chucked me a little bit of change. Uh, the show doesn't, um, this episode and uh, episode so far don't have uh, any sponsorship at some stage if you know find the right people. Then of course I'll really happily uh, uh, run some ads for stuff that I think you'd be really interested in that you'd like. But uh, for the most part this is just independently... Uh, run by and and funded and made possible by people like you listening to it who um, chuck me a a quid or two because you know if you all do that then um, well then I would um, be able to cover all my costs with ease but in any case anything you can do um, any of those three would be um, much much appreciated so without further ado I shall hand you over to um, myself in the past and the uh author, screenwriter and podcaster Mark Stay. Let me know what you think of the episode. Drop me a line. I'd love to know how you get on with it. I was going to say take care, but that'd be weird. Don't take care. Just listen to it. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and I am here with, um, well, he has many strings to his bow, so I feel I don't want to. Um, I can stick a few agent nouns and job titles in, in in front of his name, but I'm speaking to essentially Mark Stay, who is an author, a script and screenwriter, a podcast presenter, and a uh, uh, mainstay of the uh, of of our brave new cultural world, uh, presenter of the best seller experiment, and I'm bold. 
bold storytelling pioneer, uh, going and being a kind of guinea pig. <laughs> you, you left out sensitive lover, Tim. <laughs> Come on. Well, I was, I was, show don't tell, right? <laughs> if I'm going to write these things down, you should read them out loud. So, <laughs> um, how are you, Mark? It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I'm slightly tense because uh, I, I had a week off last week. I had a week of no writing, which is quite unusual. And then I, I came back to the day job. Uh, I work at uh, Orion Publishing Group. I'm their digital accounts manager, so I look after people like Amazon. And a week of sort of commuting and doing the day job. Uh, I'd like to go back on holiday now, please. <laughs> <laughs> so you, but you are, but you, so you are reporting to us from live within, within the within the machine, within the within the hub of uh, the publishing industry, right? It's got the best broadband connection that I know of. So yes, <laughs> nice. Um, so the first thing I want to sort of. Um, I've got a bunch of things that I want to ask you and kind of uh, ruthlessly strip mine you for um, knowledge and inspiration and ideas. But I guess what I wanted to start with for people who uh, uh, maybe haven't listened to your podcast or or, or don't know you, where did you and stories, where did it start for you? Um, I was five years old. I wanted to be a fireman, not a firefighter. We called them firemen back then because it was in the old sexist days. And um, I, 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 a fire engine had come to our school and I sat in the, the thing with the fireman's hat on and everything. And uh, I, I wanted to be a firefighter. And then, in my mind, this is just the next day. My dad took me to see Star Wars, and that changed everything. I wanted to be whatever that was on the big screen, and I started learning about stories from then. I, I, you know, I love reading, but it, it just took off, and from there, I started writing stuff. Uh, my dad also uh, got a fire damaged BBC B computer, and I, I remember started. I learned to type on that because I used to type up things for him. Um, and then uh, just reading, 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 and then writing sketches with friends at school. And one thing led to another, and I, I wanted to act initially, but uh, I started writing plays. And uh, one of those plays I turned into a screenplay, and it got optioned, and that's how I met a chap called John Wright, uh, who we both went on then to write a film called Robot Overlords. So that's the sort of the uh, quick capsule version of that. Yeah, I was get, it, a lot of writers I've spoken to have somewhere in their history that, like that moment where they encounter something that just like blows the top of their head off, right? Often it's a movie, but sometimes it's a book. Something that, what do you think it, what, and that's, you know, uh, for, Star Wars has done that for so many people, you know, that it's still, I only, I only watched it for the first time three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I was surrounded by, we put the big, I got a projector screen, we put it up and invited various friends came round who'd all seen it, of course. Mm. And as the movie started and that title crawl began, I realised there was a weird tension in the room and nobody was watching the screen. Everyone was like sneaking glances at, at me. And I think they were, <laughs> the film meant so much to them. I think they were all terrified that they were going to see it through my eyes for the first time. And I was going to sit there and go, well... 
well, this is rather dry, isn't it? This is uh, this is a bit silly, and they were gonna and like the scales would fall from their eyes, and I'd ruin it for them. Now, of course, I watched it and I loved it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, why haven't I watched this yeah. before? I mean, what you, have I been doing you, with my life? You go through this as a parent as well. You know, you sit your kids down in front of Star Wars, and if they don't like it, it's quite simple. Yeah, just have to put them up for adoption or something. Um, so <laughs> it's, it is. It's one, it's one of those things. I mean, it's um, it, it was a big, important thing for me. There had been nothing like it. Uh, there are other films that have been very important to me. So, for example, Blade Runner uh, is a film that, I saw it when I was 12 at a friend's birthday party. We thought we were going to see Indiana Jones in space. It wasn't that. Uh, we were very confused by it. But then I read the comic book adaptation. I read the novel. I saw the director's cut. And that's a film that's gone on a journey with me through my life. And I've got friends and colleagues who are younger than me. And you showed them that. And they're kind of, well, it it looks like every other science fiction film ever made. Yeah, it's because it was influential, you know. But if they haven't been on the journey with you, it, it's, it doesn't have quite the same impact. Which is why you get so many man babies on online complaining about Star Wars, about all these new fans that girls, girls like Star Wars. You know, it's just this, you know, there is that ownership, which in some ways is a good thing, but in some ways can be very, very toxic as well. So, you know, I'm, uh, I love Star Wars. I, I love, uh, but the, you know, Thinking, thinking about my reading experience, it's it's weird uh, little things that, that that woke you up to reading. There was a book called I Am David, which is about a boy who uh, you know goes on this long journey, and it was it was the first thing I'd read which I think didn't have spaceships in it. You know, uh, I think it was by Anne Home, and it really moved me. It's a really powerful book, and. Uh, then, then you discover uh, something like uh, the Earthsea books by Ursula Le Guin, uh, which just opened my mind to yeah. the fantasy side of things. And and then I remember on one particular holiday reading uh, the David Eddings Belgariad books, which introduced me to high fantasy before I'd read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, which kind of spoiled them for me, to be honest, because again, it was that thing, well, these feel like every other fantasy book ever written. Yeah, because they're really influential. Um, so, you know, you have those little milestones. Uh, and I just devoured books as a kid. You know, I was just constantly reading anything and everything I, I could get my hands on. And then I I sort of drifted from job to job. And uh, I, I'd been working in a, in a hi-fi shop in Dorking, believe it or not. And across, <laughs> across the road, uh, there was a job going at, at Waterstones. It was just a Christmas job. And um, I've never looked back. It's It's this weird kind of tumbling from one thing to another. I worked for Waterstones for about five years. Then I, I, was start, I worked for another publisher called Headline Publishing, um, which was great because they, uh, well, they still do, publish Neil Gaiman at the time, so I got to meet Neil a few times. Uh, and then um, I, I, I got a job here at Orion, and I've been here for nearly, well, actually, probably by the time this goes out, uh, 15 years. And it's very much like a family here, a very dysfunctional, weird family at times. But, um, <laughs> you know, you get... You get into this world of, of books and authors and you get inspired by them. And, and it's also, you know, I've learned so much about the industry and how it works and the realities of it and, and how it can be very tough, but also how sometimes it can just be weirdly miraculous and just launch people into a stratosphere. That's, um, yeah, it's it's a fun place to be. And I, I like being around book people. I like film people. I like music people. But um, book people are a... a, a, a <laughs> a breed all of their own. 
Yeah, I was going to say that's a really interesting. That's a re- I, this is the, well, this is what I want to ask you next then, because that brings up something that's fascinating to me. This allure of like books and stories, they are romantic and attractive in a way that perhaps hi-fis aren't. <laughs> and you know, oh, I like, don't know, mate. I, I, I don't know. You talk. You talk to some people who you, we'd get people come into the listening room. We had a listening room at this this hi-fi shop, and uh, these things, these amps and preamps and everything, they were they were like the um, you know the pieces of the Holy Cross. You know, they were relics to these people. So everyone has their passion. You know, and you, you talk to vinyl fans about vinyl. Vinyl doesn't sound better than say a lossless file, a digital file. It just doesn't. But that experience of opening the gatefold and putting the vinyl on the platter and listening to the rumble and the crackle you know everyone has their own thing and books you know as you say books are a very special thing you open those pages this is why i don't think ebooks will ever completely dominate or digital will ever completely dominate because uh, people love the experience of opening a book the smell of it the feel of it the 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 texture of it the the way you read on paper is different to the way you re- read on a screen so yeah it it, it is Everyone has their own, you know, peccadilloes when it comes to to, to how they, the, you know, how they consume uh, their their favourite kind of media. Um, but yeah, books are books are peculiar. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe it's because they're my thing that I go. Well, everybody must love the th- one thing I like. But you're yeah, you're totally right. And <laughs> e- different people have got the thing that they. Yeah, geek out about, and sometimes that's crochet. But, but some, you, yeah. but you'll be like me. You, if you meet someone who ever says, oh, "I don't read," you're gonna think there there's something wrong with them. You know, yeah, oh, I don't read. Yeah. you don't read at all. No, I don't read. Then you're missing a gene or something. You know, there there is. I I, I am naturally suspicious of people who tell me they don't read. And then what yeah. you discover, actually, they do read certain. They might just read business books or or, or manuals or something like that. But they, you know. That idea of reading fiction for pleasure, or, or you know, it's um, there are people out there who still don't de- still don't get it. So audiobooks for them. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. I can completely understand if people read sort of type like types of books, types of stories that I don't don't that that, that I'm not into. But just like not reading, not reading anything. I just it it kind of it does blow my mind slightly. I'm like, wow, what do you? What are you what are you doing? You must have loads of time, right? Yeah, you must yeah. have lo- you must have loads of shelf space. <laughs> so can we I just wanna like take this forward slightly because so you kind of you're getting into the industry, you're kind of moving adjacent to all these people who and these different books and people who are doing really well, but you also see the kind of because there's, you know, there's a there's a kind of, there's a glamour around becoming an author. I think like a lot of a lot of um, uh, surveys, it like being a writer is like consistently comes as one of the top jobs that people wish they could do. Um, mm. Can you talk about um, where your idea for the podcast, uh, your podcast, the bestseller experiment, when that started to take shape? Yeah, well, I I co-wrote this movie, Robot Overlords, um, which uh, I wrote with the director, John Wright, uh, and it uh, premiered at the London Film Festival, stars Ben Kingsley and Gillian Anderson. It's a good, fun kids' adventure movie. And also, um, while we were in post-production, 
um, the producer says, hang on, we could have games, we could have a book. And I immediately put my hand up, said, I'll, I'll do the book, I'll do the book, because this was my big opportunity to get a book published. And I, I, and I was lucky enough that I, I was able to twist Golantz's arm to, to publish it. And I'm really proud of it. It was a fantastic experience having gone through that, that whole experience of finishing the book, the edit, the copy edit, the whole process, because there's, there is a huge difference between you know, writing uh, a draft, but having go gone through the publishing process, and I learned an awful lot uh, doing that. And what happens is when you have a film and a book come out, lots of old friends get in touch, and one of those was a, a fellow called uh, Mark DeVoe. Uh, Mark, Mark and I sort of knew each other as teenagers. We went to different schools, but uh, we, we had lots of mutual friends, and we see each other at gigs and parties and stuff like that. And every now and then you catch up with mates, and you say, oh, what's DeVoe up to? And you'd hear things like, you know, oh, he's, he's played Glastonbury. That he's what he's, he's done what uh, you hmm. know uh, and he's he's an entrepreneur and he's a doer he gets things done and um, mark got in touch and he said oh this is amazing you're living the dream uh i've always wanted to write a novel but i've never got beyond twenty thousand words and we started talking and one thing led to another and we both love podcasts and we agreed to co-write uh, a novel within 12 months and self-publish and try and get it up the Kindle charts. And the idea is that we'd interview people every week in the industry and authors and just talk about what makes a best-selling book. And uh, it was a lot of work. It was, um, you know, we, we, we managed to get Joanne Harris in one of the early episodes and Jara Abercrombie came on and then Michael Connolly. We got Brian Cranston, which was a bit of a coup. Uh, and everyone's, you know, you, you soon discover a, there's no glamour. There's there's no uh, there's no easy route uh, to successfully writing a book. There is there are no sort of seven magic ingredients or whatever. It's just a lot of damn work, and there's no single way of doing it. You know, a lot of people said write every day. Well, that's great, but then you Sarah Pembroke said no, I don't write every day, but I think about it every day. Uh, some people outline heavily. Other people uh, just write on, you know, on the spur of the, you know, the plotters versus pantsers. You've probably heard that, you know. So it's um, it, you soon discover there is no easy way. There is no glamour. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of self doubt. It's a lot of thinking that you're rubbish and no one should ever, you know, let you uh, write words ever again. And then you have days when it just flies and it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, and but what I also discovered was this is incredible community of writers out there. Some are indie authors, some are published by major publishers. Um, but there is something about authors where we like to share our successes and we like to share what's worked for us. And we commiserate people who are struggling and we, we you know, particularly on, online. Uh, and one of the great things about the bestseller experiment is we have this wonderful online community of people who, you know, slap each other on the back and cheer each other on and commiserate each other and um it's it's one of the most amazing things to come out of it and the key to the podcast success for me is is not whether or not we achieved our goal but we said to our listeners look if you've got a half written book out there if you've got an idea or if you're just up for the challenge beat us to it you know beat us to it and it happened uh you know we had um we've 
barely a week goes by where I don't get some kind of tweet or email or message from someone who's just finished their first draft or uh, next on the next episode of the podcast I'm talking to Penilla Hughes who is one of our listeners and she's just had a book published by Harper Impulse uh, I know the week after that I'm talking Rhoda Baxter who's an indie author who was one of our early listeners uh, a week after that I'm, I've also got another author on I can't say who it is yet but he's just signed a big deal with Golantz you know so it's the this thing of our, our our listeners actually doing better than we are uh, and yeah. having great successes has been wonderful it's it's been a weird uh, byproduct of of the whole experiment that i never saw coming and has completely blindsided me and i, I love it that's in, that's incredibly kind and magnanimous of you mark i'm not sure i would feel i, I i'm not sure i would um, maybe no. I can imagine it be feeling happy for people, but having a small secret reservoir of resentment at the same no, time. No, no, no. It's good. You, you've got to be happy for other people's successes, and I, I think uh, it's it's a sign of uh, people who are happy in their own skin. I think if they're like, "Good for you, well done," because we are not in competition with each other. There is not a finite number of books that will ever be published. I mean, it's, you know, if you're after awards, if you're after getting into the Sunday Times top 10, and I know big name authors who, for them, it's the only thing that's important to them. I remember I was talking to uh, Harlan Coben one evening, and, you know, he, one of his brothers, I think, was an advisor to the Bush administration, you know, and another is, I think, is a lawyer. They both had really successful jobs. So as far as they're concerned, Harlan is this little brother who writes silly books, you know. So for him, that validation of getting number one bestsellers is is really important you know so it's it's what you think is important i mean uh for me it's it's getting the story out there it's getting feedback from um readers it's it's actually getting people to read the stuff and and enjoy it and, and putting it out there so um you know it's it would be nice to earn a living from it of course but you know that's uh that's becoming more and more difficult these days yeah, I, I was going to say from because you've spoken to so many people on the podcast and you've been accruing all these different points of view. And from what you're saying, the, you know, you, it, 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 uh, and I and I've listened to um, listened to the podcast myself, and it's true that like as much as we would like like one, like everyone goes, well, here's the secret. Oh, don't you know? Oh, here it is, and you just hand on this formula to, and then you're able to replicate it. So at some stage people are telling you all different things um they're telling you you know you're finding out that there's a lot of luck involved so at that point for you what was what did you were there any kind of core things that you started that you feel like you learned or any particular guests that you had on or moments when you were in this journey where you had like light bulb moments where you're like ah that resonates with me or something you were able to take and apply um one of our first episodes, we had Joan Harris on, and I said, have you got any advice for aspiring authors? And she said, drop the word aspiring. It's bullshit. She said, if you're writing, you're a writer. And I think that's the thing. A lot of people, as you say, a lot of people have this dream of becoming a writer, but they never put pen to paper. Or they might take a couple of days and discover, actually, it's really bloody hard. Um, you have to write, you know. Uh, another one of our early episodes, we had Shannon Mayer on, who's a best-selling indie author, and she said, you know, your muse is your bitch, not the other way around, you know. You can't sit there waiting for inspiration. You have you have crappy days and you have good days. Uh, and then we have Michael Conley come on. He said, be relentless, write every day, let it take over your life. So you do, you can't treat this, well, you can treat it as a hobby, but if you do, I don't think you're going to see 
any kind of success. And you talked about luck. And I'm a great believer that you do make your own luck and you do that by working hard and you do that by learning about the industry and you do that by putting yourself out there. And it's a kind of scary thing. Putting yourself out there is scary uh, because writing is, is a process of failure. And with each draft and each rewrite, you're failing a little less each time. And uh, it's a difficult thing. If uh, And a lot of writers I know are anxious people because uh, I think a good writer is someone who worries about things, worries about the world, is able to put themselves in the feet of other people. And, you know, they they think about life and death and all the big subjects in life, and they are worriers. It's, you know, the stories that we write are about the things that we're passionate about, and that can be fear as well. So, you know, it's you, you have to step over the threshold. You have to put yourself out there. You have to write every day, and you have to embrace the failures, you know? It's um, you can't just sit on a draft and not put it out there, not let anyone read it because that's that's as far as it's ever going to get. And I kind of knew that anyway. But, you know, uh, once you start putting it in practice, you start seeing the success. You start seeing the luck turn into something a bit more tangible. I think that's the that's the tricky thing, isn't it? That that like <laughs> when you start writing, um the, it's that's when it's going to be the worst it's going to be hmm. that's when you know the least about the story yeah um that's when you've got the most work in front of you hmm. so you know people st- in front of that blank page it's like if you start writing and start pursuing that dream <laughs> then the first thing you're going to hit is kind of like it's kind of like the, a, a, a career low you're going to hit that like hard thing it's going to be like trying to start pedaling a bike up a mountain and it's only when you've got a bit of momentum that it's going to get easy but that first week of finally knuckling down to your dream you're going to look back and go oh I don't know very much about writing it's a terrifying thing to do isn't it yeah it is Uh, funny enough I mean NaNoWriMo crops up a lot in conversations with a lot of our authors in that it for them it was a tipping point in that they took the NaNoWriMo challenge, uh, which is to write uh, I think it's fifty thousand words in a month, or at least to complete a novel in a month. And for a lot of them, it was the first time they ever finished anything. And finishing something is so important because you can step back from it and say, "Well, that's a big pile of crap, but it's a big pile of crap that I didn't have before, and I can mold it into shape and I can make something of it." And that in itself is uh, is an achievement. You know, and again, we we encourage people um, to give us public declarations. You know, again, pretty pretty much every week we get a public declaration from one of our listeners who says, uh, "Bestseller experiment. I'm going to finish my novel by April." And I put a reminder in my diary, and then about a week before, I drop them a line saying, "How's it going?" And then they go, "Oh my God, this thing is real!" And they, <laughs> they by making that public declaration, they they know they have to get something done. They don't have to show it to us. They don't have to put it on Wattpad or have us read it. But they they and more often than not, a lot of them say, "Thank you for giving me that deadline because it spurred me on. I managed to finish something." And onto the next draft or onto the next book or, or whatever achievement they, uh, they they set out to achieve, and it's um, it's I use it myself. You know, I'll 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 go public with uh, things and say, you know, this is what I want to do now. And it was, you know, with the podcast, we had set a date, a publication date of I think it was October the seventeenth, twenty seventeen, uh, and we were heading towards that. Uh, and I work, you know, it was. 
for Mark, he'd never written any, you know, he'd never finished a novel before, but I'd had a book published, I'd had a film out, I had other projects in the pipeline that I put to one side to make this happen, you know. And if I fell flat on my face, I was kind of thinking, well, this could be really bad. This could, you know, end my career before it's even started. So it was um, it was a real, you know, uh, a worry that, I mean, more books failed than succeed. And if you listen to those early episodes of the podcast, I am doctor cynical there i'm you know very much this is going to be a complete car crash this is not going to work but there came a point where the book started to gel and started to come together i thought actually we've got a cracking book here and we can we can really make this happen and as we sort of accelerated towards publication date i became a lot more confident about it but it was it was a nerve-wracking experience it really was yeah can you talk a bit about uh back to reality because you know Mm. that is the book that you that that ended up being your your guinea pig I guess for your bestseller that you were gonna uh can you just um give us a little um I don't know do you like a little synopsis of what it's about yeah sure back to reality is about a woman called joe Uh, who's in her 40s, stuck in a rut, uh, thinks life is going nowhere. Uh, It's her 42nd birthday, and she and her workmates go out for a karaoke evening. And she says, I'm not drinking, I'm not singing, I'm not singing, I'm not, you know, you're not going to get me up there, forget about it. And a colleague of hers gets up on stage, he's drunk, he's making a fool of himself. And she helps him off the stage, no one else has helped, they're all laughing at him. And she ends up on stage with the microphone in her hand for the first time in about 20 years. And she's had a couple of gins and she sings. Oh, my God, she's got an incredible voice, an incredible voice. I mean, she's singing the whole night. She brings the house down. She is just amazing. And all of her friends saying, what? where did this come from? We didn't know you could sing. She said, well, you know, I, I nearly became a singer when I was a kid, but nothing ever came of it. And after that, her life kind of falls apart. She discovers her her husband is cheating on her. Her teenage daughter hates her. She gets fired from her job. She becomes a, you know, I won't tell you why, but she becomes a a, a figure of uh, public mockery. And it looks like her life is completely over. And then she walks into a kitchen and she discovers a 24-year-old version of herself that looks like a rock star. And this young woman says to her, look, I'm you, I'm dead, and I need your help. And that kicks off a sort of freaky Friday back to the future body swap adventure where Joe gets to be her younger self, gets a second chance to have a go at that rock and roll dream. And it goes to Hollywood, it goes to Glastonbury. It's very funny, it's very pacey. Uh, hopefully it might make you blub a bit at the end. And um, it's it's weird in that the, the novel itself kind of reflects the journey that we went on where you know a couple of people in their 40s thinking can we do this can we can we live our dream can we have a bestseller and um yeah we're really happy with it it's a really fun read lots of rock and roll uh lots of uh, little bits of time travel and it came out of you know we had early conversations about the things that both of us were passionate about we both love music we both love films like back to the future uh, and you know this idea of living your dream is is core to the podcast you know for a lot of people writing a novel doesn't have to be a bestseller doesn't have to be even be published but you know just getting to the end of a book for many people is a dream and uh, the book kind of reflects that and um, it's had a really good reception it's had great reviews and spoiler alert we on the day of publication we got to number one in 10 categories uh, in the UK and in the US and Canada and Australia so thank you very much thank you very much and thank you to everyone who supported us wow that's the thing the podcast kind of helped make it because our you know 
a year of podcasting built our readership. You know, we we had a group of um, we we put word out there a few months before we published, saying, "Is anyone out there an editor, a proofreader? You know, can you help us out?" So we had this team of uh, you know elite listeners who were giving us feedback on the book and um, you know helping us edit the book. We did have we did pay for an editor, but they gave us. Uh, an extra uh, perspective on it and um, and of course they be, they took ownership of the book and they were champions of it when it was published so uh, they helped make the book the success that it was and it was an incredible experience I'm so glad I did it that's a mate that's so inspiring Mark I think was there anything so while you were going and, and and while you were doing the podcast in the lead up to this and you were asking different authors who'd had you know who'd sold lots of books and have found communities and audiences was there any things that you learn along the way that you you applied to the book itself was there any because you you know you have you had various authors on there who give you some quite strident opinions mm. about how things are done you know in the spirit of giving you uh, ad- advice you know no, no one's being an arsehole about it but people are saying look you've got to you've got to know this is the way it's going was there anything that you learned it during that year that fed into the actual writing of the book every episode every episode but i think the big turning point is the episode that was voted the favorite by our listeners which we now just refer to as the ben aronovich bollocking which <laughs> yeah uh, could you talk about that yeah well ben, i'm a big fan of ben i like ben a lot and um we were having a, a conversation with ben about his new book and how he wrote now ben is very much a and if you follow Ben online he does a word count every day and his word count is actually quite low very often he'll say 250 words today 500 words today but as Ben explained in the podcast with us he those are as as near to the finished draft as possible he's he's very meticulous he takes his time over it Mark and I Mark Devoe and I were outlining very heavily uh one I come from a screenwriting background so I outline a lot and plus there were two of us working on this you know so we both had to have an idea of where we were going you know we both had an idea of of what had to happen in each chapter and what the beats were and what the, you know what the story was um, but at that point uh, we had an outline that was 50,000 words long and Ben lost it he just he just <laughs> completely he was like I've just been paid to write a novella that's 50,000 and and basically his message to us was shit or get off the pot you know Uh, and and what was what was that was I mean we laugh about it now but um and if you listen to that episode, I'm quite defensive, actually. I'm quite. Yeah, well, That's what I was going to say. Is I yeah. I so enjoy here the two of you, um, squirming as you try yeah. to say as well, you're so desperate to say this was actually all the this was important and this is it's I, I think it's such a good I'll put a link in the show notes because yeah, people yeah. have got to listen to it. It's just I mean a lot of what he says is wonderful, but it's a really great interaction between you two and him. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's what's. What, um, the thing that happened immediately afterwards, he went to lunch with the Golance team. And I I know because I spoke to some of them afterwards. He, he basically said, have you heard what these two clowns are up to? And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> shit. You know, it's, that bang goes my reputation, you know. And I, I, can't, well, and I, I, said, I said to DeVoe after that, we are writing this motherfucker. And we, uh, and I, we just went. We just we said no more pissing about, and we wrote, and we wrote, and I wrote like a demon. And uh, you know, it was the book that never slept because I'd be writing in the UK, and then I'd hand over to Devo in the evening. 
Um, but here's the other thing. I don't think there is any wrong. I don't think we did the wrong thing. I think by having that outline, that next draft actually came really, really quickly. And it was as solid as a rock. When it came to the structural edit with our editor, hardly anything needed. In fact, we had just had to cut stuff. We didn't have to move stuff around. It was just a question of cutting. There was nothing missing. So, uh, you know, I stand by the outlining process. I don't know if 50,000 words is, you know, maybe a bit over the top. But, you know, each... Each and every one of us, and I've had people come back to me and say, well, I do the same thing, it works for me. And best-selling authors have said that, you know, they said, that's how I work, you know. So, um, you know, as, as this is the biggest lesson, that anyone who tells you there's only one way of writing a novel is selling something. You know, they're selling a course or they're selling, you know, a book. There is no one way. If it works for you and it produces the goods, then you're doing it right. That's the biggest lesson for me. Yeah, I think it was it was it was kind of fascinating because at the same time he then immediately cops to uh basically doing one draft and then throwing it to his editor and being very much kind of writing by the seat of his pants. Um and him saying, "Look, I know <laughs> I I know maybe I should do more than that, but that's how I work." And so, you know, like we all get attached to the ways we work because often often it's kind of like the way the thing that produced some stories we're really fond of as well you know it's hard yeah. not to be slightly protective of that right yeah 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 i mean you know like i say everyone has their own way and um i mean ben writes major bestsellers so it what he's doing works brilliantly for him and i love his books and i love his writing um but you know find your own way and you're only and this is the thing you're only going to learn that by doing it and experimenting uh i spoke to penilla hughes recently and um you know, she was saying that she she had to uh, pants a novel very, very quickly. And she'll, no, not Penilla, he was Rhoda Baxter, it was Rhoda Baxter. Uh, she, her agent suggested uh, a, an idea for a novel for her and she had to write it in eight weeks. So she pants the whole thing. She's normally a big outliner, but by just going in there and writing it, she learned a lot about the way that she wrote and, and she learned a lot of new stuff. So, I mean, I try never to write anything the same way twice. I am... Um, and one of the great joys of the podcast is every week I learn something new and so do our listeners. You know, we it, it might just be one tiny little nugget. It might just be an affirmation of something you kind of knew before. Uh, but it's um, every week I learn something new and it is it is like a free course. You know, it's um, it's uh, it's. And we're up to 130 something episodes now. So, you know, it's, it's been going it's for a so, while. It's so great. I agree with you as well. I think like listening to the, the different people, even if they're writing something that is in a complete, well, actually, especially when it's someone writing in a completely different genre to what mm. I write, or because they're often, that's when you get something that is sort of, um, I guess it's, defamiliarized right so you yeah. they, they explain something in a new way they're bringing something from their field and that's when you're most likely to encounter something that you weren't you know i i really i found so many of the episodes where i wasn't expecting to for it to be do the information to be relevant to me those yeah. were the ones where i learned something completely new and was like oh my it's, gosh wow i can try that it's very gratifying to hear that because i I, I find that as well, you know, and we do say if we do an episode on, say, a children's author, we say, look, if you're not writing children's books, still listen, because you'll still pick something up from this. It's like um, not to compare ourselves to Desert Island Discs, but I'll compare us to Desert Island Discs in that, you know, you have those uh, 
episodes with the big name uh, celebrities and you think, oh, this is going to be great. But actually, uh, very often the most interesting episodes of Desert Island are the ones of people you've never heard of. They might be a surgeon or they might be, you know, so, and it's, they, they, and I find that with the podcast, you know, we get our big name authors on, but then you'll get some debut author on, or you'll get someone who's maybe two or three books into a career. Or we do a lot of what we call behind the curtain episodes where we speak to people in the industry, people who are editors here, or people who work in production, people who work on audio books, and we talk to them. And again, you know, if you're a listener and you're not working in the industry, you're going to find this stuff really, really interesting. You're going to learn something from this that, that you didn't know before. So it's... um. We try and cover cover all the bases. Do you think that nowadays, because you had Sam Missingham on recently, did yeah. he talking about book promotion? Do you think? Because I mean, like one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you, apart from the fact that your podcast is brilliant, and I think everyone listening should uh, check it out immediately because they're going to get so much from it, and this just it's such an incredible resource, and I think anyone writing can learn an awful lot, and it's often very funny as well, and you kind of like make yourselves vulnerable as well, like you say, which I think is one of the things that is such a winning, uh, you know, that you we're we're there with you on a journey. Um, do you think that writers need to be when we talk, I, I hear some people saying, oh, if you're a writer now, you, you know, you have to self-promote. You have to be a business person. You have to be an entrepreneur. Some people going, that is none of your business. You must never soil yourself with uh, the, well, you, you, you must never soil yourself with the kind of commerce. You're, you're supposed to go to your ivory tower and produce. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And what have, when you've spoken to authors, what do people tend to do? Are the big, are the bestsellers always great kind of like wheeler dealers and chances who can push their books or how does it work i, I love the phrase soil yourself with commerce yeah get that put on a t-shirt <laughs> um there is a big divide i think if you're an author who is already published already best-selling already at the top of the tree for uh, a, a publisher if say if you're the Ian Rankins or Kate Mosses or the Harlan Cobans or the uh, James Pattersons, although Patterson, of course, has a marketing background. Yeah, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to do anything at all because the publisher will be doing it for you. As for the rest of us, you know, the 99% of us who aren't, you know, the focus of uh, publishers whose budgets are increasingly stretched, who are, you know, employing fewer people, uh, who are getting bigger and taking on more and more authors, um, yeah, if you want to sell books, it depends what you want to achieve. If you just want to get published, uh, then fine, uh, don't do that. But I think if you want to sell books, if you want people to read your books and enjoy your books, you're going to have to learn how to pimp yourself. I think if you're going to be an author in the 21st century, this has to be part of your toolkit. And that is difficult for people to hear. Uh, even the literary authors, you know, uh, fair enough if you're writing very commercial crime or romance or science fiction and it's a very competitive area. But, you know, uh, if you've written a fantastic literary novel and you're not uh, the blockbuster debut or, or whatever, um, who's going to do it? It has to come down to you. You have to be driving that ship uh, because if you don't, it won't get read. And if it doesn't get read, it doesn't sell. And if it doesn't sell, you don't get picked up for another book. And then you end up self-publishing. And let me tell you, if you're self-publishing and you're not doing romance or crime or something commercial, you're going to struggle to sell that as well. So it's, um, yeah, you you need to think about this. And uh, I mean, if you've got money, you can hire people to do it for you. 
you know, there are. Yeah, if you're like Bruce Wayne. (laughs) Well, you know, you don't have to be Bruce Wayne, but you will need a few hundred quid. Uh, You know, we hired a publicist for our book and that costs us a few hundred quid. Uh, Funnily enough, in a couple of weeks, I'm talking to a freelance marketer who's going to be on the show. And she will talk about the sort of things that they can do for you. But it will cost you money. But the idea is, you know, if you're in the right place and selling the right kind of book, you, then it, it will, you know, recoup, you will recoup your costs. But it's, um, yeah, you, you have to be aware of this stuff. You really have to be aware of this stuff because it is a business. Uh, it's it's not a hobby. I mean, like I say, if, if your goal is to just get the book written and you put it out in the Kindle and you don't care what it sells, fine, that's great, and I wish you well. But if you want to make money out of this, if you want to earn any kind of living out of this, then you have to uh, partition a part of your brain and apply it to marketing and publicity and selling the book. Because if you don't, no one else will. So, Mark, I'm going to ask you this, and I was going to frame it in the sense of going, so for the purposes of our listeners, but really this is me scratching my own itch because I feel completely lost in this area of like uh, self-promotion and how you kind of connect with an audience. If you had like three tips, say that's a completely arbitrary number, can be uh, fewer or more, um, for like someone who hasn't thought about how they're going to promote themselves or for like marketing your books or starting to think about that um for an author what would they be um one is to plan uh plan ahead have a have an idea of when your book is coming out uh look at what other people are doing and look at how they launch their books and what they do i mean you know at the very least have a very basic website where people can find you and you can redirect them to where your book is sold. Uh, Think about the publication date and the launch day and what you're going to do on that day. Think about building your readership. Newsletters, you know, uh, getting a newsletter and having a direct contact with your readers is is pretty much essential these days. Um, I would also, the, the neat trick is to disassociate yourself as a person from the work. Part of the problem that we have in self-promotion is we don't like promoting ourselves, particularly if you're reserved and English as I am. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's a tricky thing to get over. Uh, whereas if you're promoting the work, if you can say to yourself, I'm not bigging myself up, but this thing that I've spent six months, a year, two years working on that I'm happy with and people have read and liked and enjoyed, I can big that up. I can promote that. Uh, so, you know, learn to... Again, partition a bit of your brain and say, I'm not being boastful. I'm not bigging myself up. But if you enjoy this kind of book and here's a quote from someone who's read it and thank you for that review and it's now on promotion for 99p and blah, blah. If you can do that, then that's great. Of course, there are people out there who do nothing but that and that's tedious and we turn off to that white noise. The other thing I would say, if you're going to be part of the writing community, be a part of the community. Be useful. You know, uh, this what the biggest lesson I've learned is 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 the bestseller X. We're on Twitter at bestseller XP, and you know we cheer each other on. We say well done, and we learn from each other. And we look at what, what what we're all doing, and the successes that we've had, and the difficulties that we've had, and uh, you know by mingling with that community, 
uh, we're learning something every day about an industry that is changing every day as well. This thing just, uh, you know, the the indie publishing revolution, the ebook revolution has been the biggest thing to happen to publishing since the Gutenberg Bible. You know, it's uh, the printing press. It's um, It's been huge, absolutely huge. And there are, you know, people in the building with me, experts who are still, you know, just they desperate to get ahead of the game. We are learning new stuff every single day. It's constantly shifting. So I would say plan ahead, uh, disassociate yourself from the work if, if that's difficult for you and and become part of the industry. Yeah, that's great. Um, those are thank you so much, Mark. Those are really, no really, really helpful things. And I think with the commu- the thing you were saying about the community at the end, I've got friends who are up at, at the Edinburgh Fringe at the moment, um, right. performing shows. And um, one of them this year, for the first time, decided he was going to volunteer to be a venue captain, even though he's doing two solo shows. And he said he's had the best year he's ever had, the yeah. least stressful yeah. year, because he's been helping other people out, and he feels like he's part of the community. He feels like there's something that's not hit, that's not him worrying about how many tickets he's sold. And it's yeah. actually made him feel. And weirdly, he's started to, he started to have this like semi superstitious feeling that bits of good luck have started to happen to him uh, yeah. in return. But certainly, even if that calm, karmic thing isn't technically real, that he, that he just feels less stressed because sometimes he can switch off from worrying how much have I sold of my thing and look at how can I help and of course he's learning stuff about how shows work why people what a show isn't doing very well how can I help this show how can I promote it and I think you're absolutely what you're saying there rings so true and it's like oh, I can feel light bulbs going off in my head that feeling <laughs> of like you're going to learn about it sometimes by be, being being involved in all the different parts of the machine right absolutely it's funny I, I've done the Edinburgh Festival twice both times it was a bit of a disaster and uh, <laughs> I, I think it was because we just went up there and we came back again we were not really part of the festival we didn't mingle we didn't you know become, become part of that community and what you're saying brings very very true to me uh, and I think whatever field you're working in you know there there are great communities for crime science fiction for romance for whatever it is you're right oh the genre crime right when you said yeah. there's great communities for crime i thought <laughs> you were like well, oh you mean jo- join them join the mafia <laughs> tim if you want an introduction i'm sure i can uh, have something arranged um, it's uh <laughs> Yeah, and these communities are welcoming. It can be very intimidating, really, really intimidating. I remember what it was like. I, I got my first agent at a, um, I think it was a thing called the Film World Meets the Book World or something. It was something that was at Waterstones Piccadilly, and it was worse than a school disco. You know, you walk in there, you don't know anyone, and you think, who the hell am I going to talk to? And funny enough, an agent spoke to me, uh, and she was really, really friendly, and we got chatting, and I told her about I'd written plays at that point, and she said, oh, one of those, that, that can make an interesting children's book. And that was my first agent. Now, I did that thing of going with the first agent that showed any vague interest to me, and it didn't work out in the end. But because of her, you know, I got a toehold in in uh, in that industry and it, it got me up and running. And, she, and in turn, she introduced me to an agent who uh, was a screenwriting agent and who and she encouraged me. So it's again, it's that thing of putting yourself out there. It is nerve wracking and you do think you're going to make a complete idiot of yourself. But I, once you've stepped through the door, 
uh, you look back and think, what was I worried about? Everyone here is so wonderful. I mean, you know, like any industry, there are dickheads. Don't you know that that is? But you, you know, if you've if you've learned to recognise them in any avenue of life, you'll recognise them here as well, and you'll know to avoid them. But by and large, everyone is 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 really nice and really wants the best for you. Um, can we talk a bit talking about like coming on from com- community and stuff like that? I think it's a really nice lead into your your next novel. Um, the end of magic mm. uh which you've um you're publishing through um a fantastic publisher unbound yeah um, can you talk a little bit first about what the, let's talk about the story first and then about that kind of the the model uh, which you're using to publish it well the end of magic is a fantasy novel uh it's one of those ideas that just would not go away and it was just about change i, I look at fantasy novels and some of them they in the back they they talk about the magic system and it's almost like the rules to a board game you know like a dungeons and dragons game and that kind of puts me off i i, I much prefer stories about characters and i thought what, what happens if you just took all the magic away that would really mess these people up wouldn't it and that's where it started so it's uh, and of course i thought that would be easier no 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 no. before you take a magic system away you have to think of one yourself so i i'm just as guilty <laughs> of having a complex magic system as any other author um but it's it's uh it's about three people uh one is uh sandabri who is a mage to a king he's very successful but he's he is the embodiment of kind of privilege he he lives in a castle lives in a citadel has everything done for him still complains still moans uh, another mage is a freelancer called Roshin Cattell uh, she moves from place to place she's her own boss answerable to no one has a very very strict moral code and then the third person is is her little brother a little boy called Oscar uh, who is a moon child he's completely mute everyone thinks he's an idiot uh, and he only has this kind of internal monologue and they uh, the, the mages get their magic power from uh, a blue moon a lapis moon in orbit and then one day it's destroyed their magic is gone and you take someone who has privilege and uh, has to do has to has to go on a mission that would have been difficult with magic and is impossible without it you get someone who has a moral code and you test them and basically i torture the characters uh, throughout the novel and it's just really good fun high fantasy the, the kind of fantasy I really enjoyed as a kid, uh, but with a little bit of edge to it too. And uh, it's one of the projects I put aside to do the bestseller experiment. And once the podcast, once the book was uh, Back to Reality was published, I was talking to my agent and he said, um, uh, Simon Spanton's at Unbound now. Simon Spanton is an editor who used to be at Golance. Uh, he's worked with people like Joe Abercrombie and Scott Lynch and Richard Morgan. And for my money, he's just one of the best editors in the business. So I said, yes, let's yeah, go very there. Very well known, very prestigious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, got real taste I, I, and he's a really nice guy as well and um he said there's one catch what's that he says it's unbound and i i supported some unbound books before and unbound works in the fascinating model where the author has to basically raise the money to get the book published and if you're doing a paperback as as i am it's uh, between four and five thousand pounds and you have to there's no deadline but they basically said to me if you don't get it in the first 90 days it generally doesn't happen so uh this year my big experiment has been raising money for this book while editing it and and you know doing rewrites and stuff like that so uh we're fully funded at the moment but good listener if you want to get your name in the book if you go to uh, unbound.com forward slash books forward slash end of magic or just come to my website you can still pre-order the book get your name in the book and uh, you know there's still one or two 
cool little pledge rewards there as well. So um, it's been a brilliant experience. It's been really, really interesting. And uh, I'm really happy with the book. We're about to go into the copy edit. Should be published early next year, early 2019, with any luck. So. So you said, and you just you said that you um, never do the you don't you don't try and use the same method twice. So obviously there were some differences writing this to back to the reality because there was hmm. just one of you. Um, yes. What 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 was what was your? I, I'm just going to ask you about your technique now because I want to know: Were you writing every day? Did you pants a first draft? Did you meticulously plot? What was? What what way what how did the end of magic kind of like end oh, up? Oh, you're gonna you're gonna like this, Tim, um, because it was a combination of both. I, I I'd had yes. a draft that I put to one side, uh, and it, one thing we always say to people is once you finish a draft, put it away for about six weeks, at least six weeks, because you can't look at it with any kind of objectivity. Well, I put it away for about a year, and I came back to it, and there was a lot about it that worked, and. Uh, there was, and I had outlined it in great detail. Uh, not not necessarily as deeply as, as Back to Reality, but it had a very very long outline. But the Oscar character didn't work at all. There was he was just he was just passive. He was in the background, and I I just jumped in. And once I started writing him, I was off, and I pantsed his character all the way through. And it was a really interesting experience because I'd get to uh, an Oscar bit and I go, what happens next? oh, we could do that to him and just let that happen. Mm. What happens next? Oh, we could torture him this way. What happens now? Oh, my gosh, he's he's become this thing. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but what happens to Oscar yeah. in this story is just incredible. And it surprised me, and I thought it's going to surprise the reader. So uh, Sander and Roisin, their kind of plot strands were very well outlined, and I was really, really happy with them. Oscar was a problem, and I just pants the whole thing, and I'm... It, transformed the novel and has made it into something quite special i think uh, that's that's fantastic and do you think that's because because it is in i've often had written a character and then the problem is that i've basically been using them as an mm. unpaid cameraman to kind of like <laughs> yeah. go through the scene and watch other people and, and and i'm like oh they don't want anything and so was it you finding some kind of motivation or like you say some some external thing that was pushing him through that got him to be more than just a yeah like a, like just a, a reporter on his own scenes he had no agency things were happening to him and he wasn't driving his own story and so I had to find a way for him to to drive his own story and the way I did that and again I don't want to spoil it but something happens to him uh, fairly early on um, that just transformed him but also transformed the book and in particular the ending and it was just that thing of giving a character agency giving a character the the engine to drive their own story and that's uh, that makes all the difference you know we 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 want to hear uh you know that a character is interesting and fascinating you don't want to know that they're likable necessarily that you just want to see someone interesting and fascinating taking the life in their own hands and doing something with it and uh, that was great fun it was really really but i couldn't have done it without the framework of the book around him so it was a really interesting combination just coming back to that book that had been very tightly plotted and then just driving a tractor through it oh wow that sounds incredibly fun that's like yeah it's like making a a, a tower out of blocks and then yeah. and then having the fun of kind of knocking it down Oh, yeah. wonderful. That's so exciting, Mark. Thank you so much. Well, I'm going to put, I'll make sure that I put, uh, as, as well as putting links to the uh, podcast, of course. Attention, oh, please. Oh, this attention, is, this please. is the fire alarm I warned you about. This is the test of the fire and voice <laughs> It'll take system. about two minutes. Uh, 
Sorry. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's keep, really cool. Keep, keep this in. It's good atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's absolutely. It's like it's. Uh, it's. It. It's. It again. Here we go. It came Here we go. It's right. Don't panic. Stay. Stay where you attention, are. Attention, please. Attention, please. Pay attention. Fire has been reported in the building. No, it hasn't. It really hasn't. Please leave the building immediately. No, don't do by that. the nearest exit. No, I'm going to sit right do here. Do not use the lifts. Do, definitely don't use the lifts. It's bad. You should wow. walk everywhere. Use the stairs. <laughs> Attention, please. Attention, please. Fire has been reported in the building. No, no, no. It's please lying. leave the building immediately by the nearest exit. Thank you very, very much um, for your time, Mark. I'm going to um, put the I'll put links to the podcast, of course, to the bestseller experiment, um, but also to uh, Mark's website and to the um, Unbound page for the End of Magic and Thank you. Uh, links as well to uh, so you can go and uh, buy uh, our Back to Reality. And um, it is and it's really uh, it's a, absolutely it's such a, a pacey. Uh, read mm. with immediately starts off uh, with a with a literal bang and then kind of just <laughs> goes from there kind of like it's a fascinating kind of like mix of uh, genre elements and with a, a central character and that opening scene actually that you were talking about in the karaoke bar is also very funny as well yeah, yeah. Um, thank you yeah but um yeah thank you so much and I recommend all of you listen to the um be- bestseller experiment and if people want to follow you on Twitter uh where can they find you I'm at Mark Stay Okay brilliant that's 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 very that's easy for everyone to uh, yep. remember Okay so um <laughs> cheers very much uh, Mark thank you very much for your time Thank you Tim it's been a real pleasure thanks a lot and to everyone for listening, um, have a lovely week. Take on board some of the things Mark has said because they, his, his advice is excellent. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next time.